intuitions do we hold which might cause us to wonder about whether something is conscious or not? We start with our own first-person phenomenology and notice that we ourselves are conscious when we are awake or dreaming, and we are absent when the body is in deep sleep or under general anesthesia. This is all we know firsthand and all we know for sure. By extension, we reason that other human beings are conscious too when they are awake or dreaming. Fair enough. We have to start somewhere. We look around the natural world and see and classify things in a rudimentary way. This classification ultimately leads to an understanding that animals, especially the mammals, have a lot in common with humans, both superficially and upon deep scrutiny. We assume that it is quite like something to be a monkey or a cat or a beaver going about its waking business. It is very reasonable to conclude that they are conscious. Moreover, these animals even sleep as we do, and when they do, their brains enter measurable states of rhythmic activity that's just like ours when we are alternately dreaming and falling out of consciousness altogether. Mammals and birds have sophisticated brains, and we come to understand that consciousness as we know it is directly associated with the brain and what it is doing. Experimentation leads to the conclusion that much of the brain, and certainly the spinal cord, is completely irrelevant to human consciousness. For this reason, it is mere speculation as to whether an insect or a spider is conscious. These animals have brains as we do, but they are so simple and small that we cannot assume them to produce subjective states. It seems cruel, however, to pull off the legs and antenna of these little creatures just to pass the time. Thus, we must intuit on some level that they have feelings, likewise for fish and frogs and so on. And it's reasonable to assume that somewhere along the animal phylogenetic tree, possibly quite early in neural development, the earliest creatures became conscious. With them, for the first time, it was like something to be awake and wandering the earth or sea. John Mellet et al. recently published a paper called Debunking a Myth, Plant Consciousness. Yes, my friends, I said plant consciousness. The abstract states, quote, claims that plants of conscious experiences have increased in recent years and have received wide coverage from the popular media to scientific journals. Such claims are misleading and have the potential to misdirect funding and governmental policy decisions. After defining basic primary consciousness, we provide new arguments against 12 core claims made by the proponents of plant consciousness. Three important new conclusions of our study are 1. Plants have not been shown to perform the proactive, anticipatory behaviors associated with consciousness, but only to sense and follow stimulus trails reactively. Two. Electrophysiological signaling in plants serves immediate physiological functions rather than integrative information processing, as in nervous systems of animals, giving no indication of plant consciousness. 3. The controversial claim of classical Pavlovian learning in plants, even if correct, is irrelevant because this type of learning does not require consciousness. Finally, we present our own hypothesis based on two logical arguments concerning which or organisms possess consciousness. Our first assumption is that affective, emotional consciousness is marked by an advanced capacity for operant learning about rewards and punishments. Our second assumption is that image-based conscious experience is marked by demonstrably mapped representations of the external environment within the body. Certain animals fit both of these criteria, but plants fit neither. We conclude that claims for plant consciousness are highly speculative and lack sound scientific support, unquote. I wonder if this paper was funded by the logging industry. Damn, they're on to us. They know that we know that cutting down trees for lumber is cold-blooded murder. When they can prove it, we're done for. Get me mallet at all to cover our asses. Those guys are on the level. They'll know what to say to keep the saws buzzing and the money rolling in. 
I should confess off the bat that I don't think plants are conscious. My immediate response to seeing this paper was that I couldn't believe it needed to be written. Sure, on social media I see all kinds of silly claims being made, but this is the peer-reviewed scientific literature. I would no sooner expect to see a paper like this in the database than one disputing the truth of Bigfoot sightings. Mallet et al. argue against 12 different claims about planned consciousness. I'm not going to go over them all. But I thought this next section was interesting. The claim is that plants communicate in neuron-like ways along phloem elements. Mallet et al. write, quote, The phloem of the vascular system carries electrical signals for considerable distances within plants. Phloem consists of electrically excitable cells called sieve elements connected to one another in a column, sieve tube, at junctions called sieve plates. However, signal transmission along the phloem differs in notable ways from that on neuronal axons. The action potentials carried by phloem differ, differ from animal action potentials, as noted above, by encompassing an osmoregulatory function. Phloem action potentials also signal distant changes in cellular photosynthesis, respiration, and phloem transport, but these are arguably caused by a primarily osmotic mechanism. In every case where plant action potentials are documented, documented with mechanistic precision in a physiological response, the central mechanism is osmotic. Phloem-conducted action potentials in plants are commonly responses to non-invasive and non-damaging environmental stimuli, such as touch, cooling, and light. By contrast, the defense responses to destructive wounding and burning injuries are signaled by variation potentials. VPs, sometimes called slow wave potentials, which are also conducted by the phloem. Accompanying these VPs are waves of calcium and reactive oxygen species in the cytoplasm with the defense responses including accumulation of jasminate, sialicylic acid, ethylene, and other adaptations to stress. VPs merit special attention because they are especially relevant to the question of whether plants have the conscious experience of pain. That is, injury-induced VPs are the closest functional analogs to plants in the nociceptive neural signals that lead to conscious pain in animals. Nociception in animals is the non-conscious sensing of injurious stimuli and is not itself pain, but it is processed into pain by higher-level neuronal signaling. Therefore, if the electrical properties of plant VPs resemble nociceptive signals, then it is conceivable that plants could also feel pain. Does such a resemblance exist? No. VPs are different from nociceptive action potentials and from anything expected to code for consciousness. Plant VPs travel slowly, at about 0 0.001 meters per second, far below the half to two meters per second of the slow nociceptive action potentials that propagate along human axons after wounding. Unlike action potentials, new VPs can be generated only every 10 minutes to several hours and they decay over time and distance, decreasing in amplitude. Each VP is unitary and long-lasting. VPs cannot signal all the way from one end of a plant to another, either by amplitude or velocity. Another characteristic that precludes neuron-like encoding by VPs is that they are highly variable in amplitude and temporal behavior. Unlike the frequency encoding that characterizes electrical spike trains in neurons and is necessary for consciousness in animals, in summary, Phloem transmits APs and VPs, neither of which is similar to signal transmission in neuronal axons. The VPs seem especially unsuitable for any role in consciousness." Unquote. The authors also note that plants do not have a brain and that their neuron-like processes, to the extent that they have them, are arranged linearly without reciprocal or feedback connections. 
I shared this section because I thought it was interesting. I didn't know about these signals in plants at all, and I certainly didn't know that they were described as having something analogous to an action potential. Nevertheless, the key point is one that was not made explicitly by the authors here. Even if the plants had literal neurons firing literal action potentials in this arrangement without a brain, much less a cerebral cortex, we should fully expect such a nervous system to lack consciousness. The system would be much more like a simple spinal cord than a brain, and nobody believes the spinal cord to exhibit consciousness. There are reflexes mediated in the spinal cord, and we are neither in control of them nor experience them as content. When a person sustains a severe injury to the spinal cord which severs it at some level, they cease to experience sensations below the level of the injury. The signals that would be carried up the spinal cord toward the thalamus and somatosensory cortex are no longer occurring. We understand how this works. Following such an, uh, an injury, if we were to apply a stimulus to the area of somatosensory cortex corresponding to the left leg, the patient would feel a sensation in their left leg. The leg you feel is not the leg down there, but the associated cortical network. Without such a stimulation, the brain cannot sense the legs. The patient is still conscious in every way, but isn't receiving signals from the lower extremities. The legs were never conscious, and nor was the lower spinal cord. Consciousness is not a product of neurons firing action potentials. It is something which occurs in the highly interconnected, integrated brain. If you cut your finger off, you might be wondering, where is my finger? But I assure you, the finger is not concurrently wondering, where is my body? One of the references made in this paper is to the work of two authors, Frantisek Beluska and Arthur Reber on single-celled organisms. Beluska and Reber wrote a paper called Sentience and Consciousness in Single Cells, how the first minds emerged in unicellular species. This, to me, is exceptionally speculative. They wrote, quote, Before we get into the details of our model, let us be clear about what we mean by sentience, or consciousness, as it is manifested in unicellular species. We are referring to feelings, subjective states, a primitive awareness of events, including an awareness of internal states. We are using these terms in what is generally referred to as a folk psychology fashion, it is likely that these forms of sentience are experienced along a valenced good-bad continuum, and that the internal representation form is determinative of actions. A prokaryote, encountering a nutrient-rich environment and detecting these life-enhancing molecules, experiences in our framework a feeling, an internal state of satisfaction, and decisions about suspending locomotion are engaged. One moving into an environment with an uncomfortably high salt content has a negative subjective state that elicits movement back toward a remembered earlier, less aversive environment. In these and scores of similar experiences, all of which are well known in cell biology, prokaryotes, we maintain, experience valence-marked subjective internal representational states. We are calling all these forms of subjective awareness, either of environmental events or of organismal internal states, sentience, consciousness. A fundamental axiom of our model is that these internal subjective forms of sentience are an essential component of all life forms. They emerged with the first appearance of life, and all more complex, varied forms of mental life are the result of evolutionary mechanisms. Just as all life forms extant and extinct are the descendants of a singular event some 3.5 billion years ago, so all the varied forms of mental life, of sentience, are derived directly from those initial ancient prokaryotic species. In short, life and sentience are coterminous." Unquote. All right, so the axiom of the author's model is that all life forms, no matter how simple, have internal subjective experiences. Given that axiom, the rest of the paper makes sense.
The problem is that the paper presents arguments for why the authors think single-celled organisms are conscious and then presents claims based upon the foundation that their arguments are correct. Mind you, they make strong claims. An axiom is something which is assumed to be true because it is self-evident. It's a starting point. I don't quite understand how this framing escapes circular logic. If the authors are presenting an argument in favor of a position, then the argument stands as a kind of hypothesis, not an axiom. The authors hypothesize that single-celled organisms are conscious, then they make arguments to justify that hypothesis. That's all perfectly reasonable. But you can't call your hypothesis itself axiomatically true. It is not self-evident that bacteria are having conscious experiences. They might be, of course, though I doubt it strongly. Let's accept that the idea is a hypothesis and look at their main lines of evidence. Beluska and Reber write, quote, Awareness of self and the capacity to detect, interpret, and experience the valenced characteristics of the environment is essential for survival and evolution. Environments are in constant flux. The concentration of the nutrients in the surrounding medium shifts. Temperature gradients change. There is an unrelenting assault from viruses, toxins, predators, and furthermore, these conditions are continuously changing. Without an internal subjective awareness of these changes, without being able to make decisions about where to move, how to modify gene expression adaptively for shifts in nutrient levels, how to match the ambient temperature with a memory of what it was in the previous location for adaptive movement, a prokaryote would be a Darwinian dead end. Moreover, all cellular life, starting with unicellular organisms, is sensitive to anesthetics. And importantly, in this respect, plants and several unicellular organisms generate endogenous anesthetics when they are wounded or stressed. In the classic model, a non-sentient agent one lacking sensations and awareness of its environment should not be responsive to anesthetics. If an organism has no affective experiences, why would it be sensitive to anesthetics or produce its own?" Unquote. Okay, so the authors here posit two things. First, they argue that since environmental conditions are always shifting, it is necessary that single-celled organisms have subjective awareness in order to make decisions. Second, they argue that responsiveness to anesthetics is evidence that single-celled organisms are conscious. I find both of these arguments exceedingly thin. Let me start out by making the point that there are coherent arguments in favor of panpsychism. Furthermore, the fundamental nature of consciousness remains a mystery. So I'm not looking to roll my eyes and pretend to know that single-celled organisms are obviously not conscious. My intuitions tell me that they are not, and my theoretical neuroscience work agrees. I can rely on lots of circumstantial evidence to back up that view, but I don't know all the answers, and scientific credibility relies on my keeping an open mind. So look at these two basic arguments. First, that single-celled organisms must have subjective experiences in order to make decisions. All right, what decisions? The authors mentioned, for example, modifying gene expression for shifts in available nutrients. Notice that you and I do not do this. This occurs at the level of cells and tissues in an entirely unconscious way. Cells are regulated by hormones and other signals between tissues and within them. Consider the expression of insulin receptors in response to glucose need. This is entirely a biochemical feedback system, not unlike how a thermostat works. There are chemical and mechanical mechanisms that have evolved to accomplish the task, just as thermostats do not notice that the room feels a bit drafty and then make the decision to turn on the heat Nobody thinks that. I'm astounded that someone educated in cellular and molecular biology would characterize anything related to gene expression or metabolic regulation as being a decision. It's not a decision. It's cause and effect. 
This is just as true for neurons as it is for other types of cells. We have no reason to assume that a neuron is a conscious thing, nor do neurons decide to fire action potentials when they get the feeling that the threshold potential has been met. Sodium channels on the cell membrane have charged motifs that move in response to the membrane potential. This opens the channel to allow the flux of sodium ions. There is no more decision involved than there is between the poles of a magnet whether to attract or repel. Pardon my arrogance here, but this argument is nonsense. The authors also mention, for example, single-celled decisions about where to move. Evolution sort of works this out, doesn't it? The cells move by, for example, the mechanical motion of cilia. Suppose an organism moves toward the surface of the water when the sun is out, and sinks into the depths when it's dark out. Suppose that the organism lies parallel to the surface with cilia underneath. All you need to evolve is a purely mechanical and chemical signal with light-sensitive receptors on the top that couple to mechanisms which regulate cilia movement. Lights on, cilia go. Lights off, cilia stop. Absent the theory of evolution by means of natural selection, you might be astonished by this capacity, but we've all known about this for far in excess of a hundred years. The argument that single-celled organisms make decisions like this based on subjective preference is archaic. It's like mixing oil and water in a jar and then claiming consciousness when you see that the oil rises to the top. After all, how else could the oil have made such a decision? I have argued in favor of the idea that consciousness in humans and other animals should serve a function. I think I first described this in the third episode of the podcast. My argument was against the idea supported by many scientists that consciousness is simply an epiphenomenon, a side effect of neural function. The authors here go completely the other way, assuming that nothing happens in living things without a conscious will to direct it. Why limit it to living things? Why not the moon? Hey, why did the volcano decide to blow its top? How come the tides decided to go out? A key failure of this argument, too, is that we, the minds of human beings, are unaware of and impotent to willfully direct almost everything that goes on in our own bodies. The logic of this argument means that while we are not aware of the glucose needs of our kidney cells, the kidney cells themselves are quite conscious of them. This is fringe stuff, man. Okay, their second argument concerns anesthetic drugs and the fact that even single-celled organisms respond to them. Define respond. An anesthetic drug is a small molecule that interacts with certain other mo molecules in living cells. Alcohol does that too. When I drink alcohol, I feel drunk. The molecules of ethanol are affecting processes in cells all over the body. The effect that occurs in the neurons of my frontal cortex, inhibiting their functions, is felt by me because the thalamocortical network is working differently. The individual neurons in my brain, which are thus inhibited, aren't feeling drunk. I am. Alcohol will affect single-celled organisms. In what sense does this imply that they feel a bit tipsy? General anesthetics are very promiscuous molecules, too. This argument is silly. The authors acknowledge that their position is subject to disagreement. They write, quote, There are arguments against our overall proposition, but they suffer from various problems. For example, take the one put forward by prominent philosopher Daniel Dennett, who argues that behaviors such as learning or communicating, when observed in unicellular or simpler multicellular species, are nothing but the blind actions of genetic programs that spin themselves out without awareness or other internal subjective states. In his terms, they have competence, but lack comprehension of what they are doing. This proposition is not wrong in any fundamental way. It is true, as he notes, that termites build nests without any mental plan, whereas humans build cathedrals with well constructed blueprints, the deeper question that concerns us is whether that more primitive state, the one where competence is displayed, is one that has a subjective sentient component. Dennett demurs on this point. 
He grants the proposition that prokaryotes are subjectively self-aware a non-zero probability of being true. We agree, but argue that the probability is, in fact, one. Unquote. Yes, they said probability of one. That means definitely true. It is 100% certain that it is like something to be a single living cell. Is that so? This paper should never have passed peer review with statements like that. I've published quite a few papers, and I've never been 100% certain about anything that I've posited. Had I said that I was, the reviewers would have called me out on it, as they should. I think we get a little too precious about the concept of life. Life is amazing, from the simplest bacteria to the higher mammals, but in its simplest forms it is not much different in kind than regular organic chemistry. Life is life because of its capacity to replicate. Spontaneously replicating things are subject to natural selection because some of them will replicate more efficiently or more often than others. This is just the logic of what happens, and if allowed to continue we get astounding diversity. Maybe the organic synthesis works best at a certain temperature or pH. That's true all the time. When we mix up a flask and warm its contents on a Bunsen burner to the correct range of temperature for a reaction to take place, we would be fools to ask how the chemical reagents know that the temperature is right to undergo covalent reorganization and form their products. Must the chemicals decide to undergo the reaction? Don't talk shit. Thank you.